Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. We sing this morning, God is with us. And there are a whole lot of people in this place who need that to be true. Who need it to be true, God, that you would be with us. So as we gather around your word this morning, in the way only you can, by your spirit, would you show up to us, show up to us in all of the different places we are. College students worried about exams. Parents worried about kids. Kids worried about parents. People full of hope. People with lots of questions. Would you show up to us, God? Meet us in the place we are and take us to the place you want us to be. For the good of your kingdom and the glory of your name, Jesus. Amen. God is with us. That's uh, what uh, Dave is talking about. And Christmas is proclaiming and Advent is expecting. God is with us. It belongs to the Gospel of Matthew, borrowed from the prophet Isaiah, and sent to anyone in the world with an ear to hear. Can you hear? God is with us. Uh, maybe you're not a Christian believer, uh, but you're, you're aware enough of your own life and the things going on around the world, things that uh, you might like to call a coincidence, less than the miraculous, but more than you could have planned to happen. God is with us? I was in a conversation with a couple of you earlier this week. You were rehearsing for me the story of the diagnosis and the treatment and the pain and the fatigue and the concern when the doctor called to say the tumors are back. You cried with your spouse. You went into the bedroom. You fell to your knees. You cried out to God. And then through a cracked voice and water-filled eyes, you said, Peace. I was overwhelmed with peace. God is with us. That's what Christmas proclaims. That's what Advent expects. God is with us. So here's what I'd like to do this morning. I want you to listen with me to a portion of the story of the God who came once as a way of opening our eyes and readying our spirits for that same God to come again. Listen carefully and listen well. An account of the genealogy of Jesus, the Messiah, the son of David, the son of Abraham. Abraham was the father of Isaac and Isaac, the father of Jacob, and Jacob, the father of Judah and his brothers. Uh, Judah was the father of Perez and Zerah, 
by Tamar. Perez was the father of Hezron. Hezron was the father of Aram. Aram was the father of Aminadab. Aminadab was the father of Nishan. Nishan was the father of Salmon. Salmon was the father of Boaz by Rahab. Boaz was the father of Obed by Ruth. Obed was the father of Jesse. And Jesse was the father of King David. David was the father of Solomon by the wife of Uriah. Solomon was the father of Rehoboam. Rehoboam was the father of Abijah. Abijah was the father of Asaph. Asaph was the father of Jehoshaphat. Jehoshaphat was the father of Joram. Joram was the father of Uzziah. Uzziah was the father of Jotham. Jotham was the father of Ahaz. Ahaz was the father of Hezekiah. Hezekiah was the father of Manasseh. Manasseh was the father of Amos. Amos was the father of Josiah. And Josiah was the father of Jeconiah and his brothers at the time of the deportation to Babylon. After the deportation to Babylon, Jeconiah was the father of Salathiel. Salafiel, the father of Zerubbabel. Zerubbabel, the father of Abiud. Abiud, the father of Eliakim. Eliakim, the father of Azor. Azor, the father of Zadok. Zadok, the father of Eliud. Eliud, the father of Eleazar. Eleazar, the father of Mathan. Mathan, the father of Jacob. Jacob, the father of Joseph, the husband of Mary, of whom Jesus was born, who is called the Messiah. So all the generations, from Abraham to David, are 14 generations. And from David to the deportation to Babylon, 14 generations. And from the deportation to Babylon to the Messiah, 14 generations. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. It's Matthew 1, verses 1 through 17. Uh, There might be a couple of pew Bibles for you to find to see it, or you can grab it when you get home. 42 names, three sets of 14 names, most of whom we don't know and can't remember. Their stories, if we ever knew them, we've forgotten. There's the big ones, Abraham, Isaac, Jacob. And then there's Salafiel, Zerubbabel, Abiud. Who are they? Matthew is about to proclaim the good news the world longs to hear. God comes in the flesh in Jesus Christ to live among us, die for us, rise to save us, ascend to heaven to rule and reign until he comes again to make it all new and to make it all right. And he starts with 42 names, three sets of 14 names. Why? Why begin the, with a genealogy? I think Matthew begins with a genealogy because this, Matthew doesn't want us to miss, God is making all things new. If you've been around Pillar at all, you know that's like a refrain in our life. All things new. God is making all things new, and he's making all things new in Jesus Christ. It begins like this, an account of the genealogy. And it ends like this. So all the generations from Abraham to David are 14 generations. And from David to the deportation to Babylon, 14 generations. And from the deportation to Babylon to the Messiah, 14 generations. Uh, 
An account of the genealogy, I owe this uh, to my friend Chuck DeGroat who pointed it out, texted me last Sunday. Genealogy, you know what the word sounds like uh, as it was originally written? Geneseos. Is that helpful? Is that Geneseos? Does it sound like anything you've heard before? Geneseos. Genesis? Genesis? Matthew begins with Genesis, which is another word that means beginning. Matthew is bringing us all the way back to the beginning when the God of the universe stood before time and spoke life into existence. And the word account, you know what that word is? Biblos. Does that sound like anything you've heard before? Bip like, oh, I don't know. What do you think? Bible. A Biblos of the Genesis. Bringing us back to the beginning when the God of all time spoke life into existence, hung the sun in the sky, and hovered the moon over the night. A Biblos of the Genesis. When God made the stars to twinkle and the mountains to stand, a biblos of the Genesis, when God saw everything that he had made and said, indeed, it is very, very good. A biblos of the Genesis happening again in Jesus Christ. And Matthew's only doing what every other gospel writer does too. Luke, uh, John's the most obvious of them. In the beginning was the word. Mark does it too, the beginning of the good news. Luke does it too. His genealogy is 77 names. Aren't you glad we're in Matthew today? All the way back to God himself. The point the gospel writers are trying to make and don't want you to miss, God in Jesus Christ is making all things new. And the reason I'm harping on this, uh, beyond biblical accuracy, because I, I think you need to know it. And I think you need to claim it. And I want you to believe it. God in Jesus Christ is making all things new. The week was hard. And the weekend was filled with angst. And the coming week is filled with questions. Listen now. He's making all things new. So you're a senior. You're going to graduate at semester if you can pass your exams. Off to who knows where and to who knows what after all of this education. Listen now, God is making all things new. I was in a conversation, uh, this was some time ago, with um, a younger woman. She was about my age. (laughs) Thank you for that. Uh, Known a struggle all of her life. So familiar to her, she doesn't even know it's a struggle. But she does know anxiety, and she knows a lot of fear. Years of counseling have given way to awareness, has become courage, is now freedom, a biblos of the Genesis. God is doing something new. I want you to own it. I want you to claim it. I want you to look for it. It's happening in Jesus Christ. Now, the new thing God is doing in you and in the world maybe, will be, is very likely going to be very, very disruptive. I'd love to hand out Christmas cookies and we could all sing a few Christmas carols. That would make us all feel so good on a Sunday morning. But I'm telling you, 
the new thing God is doing in your life and my life and in the world is going to be very, very disruptive. We like to think that the goodness of God will show up in our life as pleasure and comfort and satisfaction. And all of that finally, ultimately will be true, but on the way to that true is disruption. Uh, you could feel the rhythm of the genealogy, couldn't you? I mean, you could almost anticipate the name before it was spoken. There's like a melody to it. Abraham was the father of Isaac, and Isaac the father of Jacob, and Jacob the father of Judah. Those are the easier ones. Uh, Salafiel, the father of uh, Zerubbabel, the father of Abiu, the father of Eliakim. Those are the harder ones. There's this rhythm, though. You can feel it, right? Could you feel the rhythm? Two of you, Marge? <laughs> well, take my word for it. There's a rhythm to it. And then along, along the way, the rhythm gets disrupted. Disrupted not enough to overwhelm the rhythm, but enough to disrupt the rhythm. Abraham was the father of Isaac, and Isaac the father of Jacob, and Jacob the father of Judah and his brothers. Disruption. Uh, Judah and his brothers, one of them, Joseph, they threw him in a pit, left him for dead, thought he had died. But he ended up going to Egypt where he rose to power, and sometime later, Judah and his brothers needed Joseph's help, but they didn't know they were asking for it. And Joseph, rather than exacting vengeance, gave forgiveness, and the book of Genesis ends, what man intends for evil, God intends for good. All because of disruption. Nation, the father of Salmon, Salmon, the father of Boaz, by Rahab? Disruption. Rahab? Do you know Rahab? Rahab the prostitute? Rahab the prostitute who hid the Israelite spies on their way into the promised land? Disruption. Oh, here we go. Uh, Mathan, the father of Jacob, and Jacob, the father of Joseph, the husband of Mary, of whom Jesus was born, who was called the Messiah. Disruption. Jesus is the disruption. Jesus says, if you want to save your life, you better lose it. And anyone who loses their life for my sake and the sake of the gospel will save it. That's a disruption. Jesus says, you've heard that it was said, love your neighbor and hate your enemy. I say, love your enemy and pray for those who persecute you. Disruption. Jesus Christ is... We like things to be easy. We like things to be comfortable. But when it's uneasy and when it's uncomfortable, look for God. God may be the disruption. God may actually want you to be very, very uncomfortable. Very, very uneasy. And the dis-ease is not evidence God has forgotten, but maybe actually the evidence God is on the move in your life. The new thing God is doing will be very, very disruptive. I was in a conversation with some other pastors recently and some other leaders in our community uh, we figure it's better to do it together than on our own, so we get together about once a month. Uh, we were meeting with a man named Virgil Gulker. Uh, do you know Virgil Gulker? He started uh, Love, Inc., and then uh, maybe you've heard of that, and then started uh, Kids Hope USA. Maybe you're a part of that. Uh, we're in this conversation, and Virgil says to us, uh, the solution is embedded in the problem. I thought that was profound. I have no idea what else he was talking about, uh, but I, I caught that. The solution is embedded in the problem. 
We like to run from the problem. We, we like to run from the challenge. We like to run from the pain, but maybe the solution is embedded in the problem. Disruption may be the very thing God is doing to accomplish the new in your life. Should we just take a moment to enjoy the sun shining? Oh, my word. If you all want to go outside, I'll totally get it. The new thing God is doing will be very disruptive and will come from the most unsuspecting places. This long list of names, 42 names, three sets of 14 names, Abraham, Isaac, Jacob. We know, oh, it's just so beautiful to see the sun. Uh, Abraham, Isaac, Jacob, we know those names. Uh, Ruth, we know her name. She's got a whole book of the Bible named after her. Jesse is David's dad. We know those names. Uh, do you know the story of Tamar? I, I'm not comfortable sharing the details. She's in the genealogy. Uh, do you know Ahaz, King Ahaz? Dude was bad news. He, he's known as the evil king. He's in the genealogy. Uh, the genealogy is divided into three parts. Uh, Abraham is the first section of 14 names. David is the second section of 14 names. And the deportation to Babylon is the third section of 14 names. The deportation to Babylon, that's Nebuchadnezzar stuff. That's in the genealogy. All of which is to say this new, this new thing God is doing in the world in Jesus Christ comes from the most unsuspecting places like Tamar and Ahaz and the deportation to Babylon. Maybe, just maybe, you're not doomed to repeat the broken past of your family. Maybe, just maybe, you're not predestined to pick up the same patterns of the cultural moment. Maybe, just maybe, God has something new in mind for you that you can't imagine for yourself because of what you think you are and say about yourself. So live with a little hope. God is doing something new in the most unsuspecting places and treat people not just for where they've been and what they've done, but where God might be bringing them. We like to keep people located where we saw them last. We do this all the time with kids. You see them after five years, you know, they're now 17, and you're like, wow, I can't believe how much you've grown. It's been five years. What did you think would happen in five years? And we do the same thing to our neighbors and our friends. We leave them where they were rather than where God may be bringing them. Is it possible that God could be doing something new and we can live with hope and treat people for the new thing God might be doing? The new thing may come from very unsuspecting places. So I was with my friend Andy on Friday, his daughter Maggie, she's a seventh grader here in Holland. Uh, she was in the room with us. She said to me, Pastor John, what are you going to preach on Sunday? So I started reciting the names. I got through about 14. I said, what do you think? She kind of shrugged her shoulders. She said, I like it when you tell stories. So, okay, Maggie, this is for you. Uh, 2003, uh, Kristen and I move to the Pacific Northwest with Ryan and Jill. They were at least in the caravan with us. 2,248 rider truck miles across the country. Uh, to Whidbey Island, to Oak Harbor, Washington, to Mount Baker and Mount Rainier. Uh, 
uh, to Dave and Arlene, to the Olympics and the Cascades, to the Reinches tribe and the Vanderstoop clan. Uh, we were there for about 10 years. Uh, the town we were in hosted NAS Whidbey Island, Naval Air Station Whidbey Island, 10,000 active sailors, which brings a really interesting dynamic to a town that size. We quickly met a couple named Harry and Ev Ferrier. Uh, we got connected quickly because Ev had some sort of brain tumor. So I would visit with them regularly in their home just off of Scenic Heights Drive. Big, huge bay windows looking at Puget Sound and Mount Baker. Uh, the beauty of the view was actually matched by the beauty of the interior. Uh, wonderful relationship between the two of them. Uh, pictures and paintings and naval artifacts all over their home. Harry uh, was a Navy man. He's actually like in Naval Hall of Fames. Halls of Fame? Halls of Fame. Uh, he's kind of a big deal in the Navy. Uh, there was one picture on the wall down the hall. Uh, Harry, an older man uh, in the picture, uh, standing next to a Japanese man who was seated. I asked him about the picture. Harry went on to tell me about the Battle of Midway. Uh, 1942. Harry was a fighter pilot. He and five of his uh, five planes were flying over the Pacific when a Japanese fleet came at them, fired on them, and all of them uh, crashed. Harry and his plane was the only one to survive. Uh, you can imagine he was sparse on the details. He did show me the helmet, though, the leather helmet with the bullet through it. He has no idea how he made it. Uh, I, I asked him about the picture. Harry, a much older man in the picture than the 17-year-old fighter pilot. Think about that, 17-year-old fighter pilot. Uh, standing next to the Japanese man who was seated. Uh, he, he went on to say that uh, they had been invited to a, a ball, a gathering, uh, where the two of them met for the first time. Uh, the Japanese man was in the fleet of jets that attacked Harry, shot down all of his friends. I asked him what that was like. He said, well, we shook hands, we embraced, and we forgave. <laughs> what? We shook hands, we embraced, and we forgave. A new thing God is going to do may come from the most unsuspecting places. Amen? Amen? In the name of the Father, and the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Amen. Pray with me, please.